Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Legal Geeks podcast. I'm here, as always, with my blogging buddy, Joshua Gilliland. Hey, Josh. Hello, Jessica. We also have with us one of our Star Wars experts, Mr. Thomas Harper. Hey, Thomas, how are you? I'm reporting for duty. I'm wonderful. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Today, we are here to talk about this Forces of Destiny, which I have to confess right off the beam, I have not yet had a chance to watch them. Um, (gasps) I know, I know. I will catch up before Comic-Con, I promise. So uh, Joshua and Thomas will be explaining to me um, some of the uh, episodes, but what we're focusing on today is a specific legal duty or lack thereof. We're talking about the duty to rescue. And in general, in the United States, there is no like general obligation for one person to rescue another person. If I'm walking down the street and I see Joshua on fire, I can say, hey, Josh, how are you? And keep on walking. Even if there's a bucket of water right next to him, I have no legal obligation to dump that water on him. Wait, I see. Wait, I'm, wait. Oh. Don't, don't we have a special relationship? Because well, I want to go... <laughs> That's true. Blogging partner to blogging partner. I think they actually are developing some case law in California where you do have a duty to rescue. <laughs> I just want to go out there. I want to be like super heard. At, so, the, <laughs> at the very least, you owe him a compliment on how nice the flames look. I'll tweet something about it. I'll be like, hey, Josh is on fire, hashtag blogger in peril or something. <laughs> hashtag prayers for Josh. <laughs> Somebody put him out. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, but that's exactly it, is that while generally I don't have an obligation to rescue Josh, the laws have said, the courts, um, both common law and statutory law, have said that in some obligations, there is a duty to rescue. So there can be state statutes or federal statutes imposing a duty to rescue. There can actually sometimes be contractual relationships where you have a duty to rescue someone. There's also, um, I think it's probably just common law, it's implied by the relationship as a mother, I have a duty to rescue my children um, and not just because of the shaming I would face on Facebook if I didn't rescue my children. So there are certain obligations that can be imposed by law. One of the big areas where there's a duty imposed is for certain types of basically public safety officials. So firefighters, police officers, paramedics, they can have a duty to rescue. So if they're at a restaurant, they're off duty, but somebody is choking, they can have a duty to rescue and try to um, help the person in peril. Now, I should say, too, on the flip side, there are Good Samaritan laws, where even if people don't have a duty to rescue, um, if they try to help somebody and they take reasonable measures uh, and they don't do anything just, you know, uh, crazy and they, uh, if they can, um, they, in those situations, they can try to help. And even if that help doesn't work out, they're protected by the Good Samaritan laws. And then those of you old enough to remember Seinfeld will know that in some states, there actually are uh, state-imposed duties to basically try to help rescue. For example, Louisiana has said in kind of court dicta, which means it's not an official holding, but it could be used by other courts, says that a person who observes a person in obvious peril should be required to render assistance when he can do so without personal risk. So in the Seinfeld reference, of course, that was a whole point of the series finale. Um, they just watched somebody being robbed and laughed at them, and so then they were tried um, for not being good Samaritans and were actually sentenced to time in prison, which that last scene when they were in prison was probably my entire, my favorite part of the entire uh, series finale. But anyway, I digress. We're not here to talk about Seinfeld, although we do need, is there a Seinfeld podcast? We need a Seinfeld podcast. It should be. 
There is. I mean, there's a Gilmore Guys podcast. I just heard today about one for Veronica Mars. It seems like there, I would think the X-Files and Seinfeld would both be ripe for podcasts. I'm sure there is. There are lots of podcasters out there and lots of people who love Seinfeld. So <laughs> I could see those forces coming together to create a podcast. Like the I, it's forces of destiny, just like the YouTube episodes we're here to talk about today. So these forces, uh, well, these forces of destiny YouTube episodes, Josh, you can explain a little bit as we get into this first one. There's one where Ray actually, well, BB-8 is in trouble, right? BB-8's in trouble from Tito. Can you set this up a little bit and explain what's going on? Yeah, and and let's just go on the record here that if Jess had seen the episodes, we would not have two guys talking about the all-female characters. <laughs> this, is, this is like just asking. mansplain. <laughs> I gave them an okay to mansplain this time. We should have a waiver. Mansplaining is allowed in this particular situation. We're, this is just being objective and <laughs> what the reasonable person would do because uh, all of these episodes are a lot of fun because we see characters that we love from uh, the different movies from every generation and they're all being very heroic. They are virtually in all of them saving somebody and they're saving somebody that they don't necessarily have to go out and save. And the episodes are about two to three minutes. Uh, I, I listened to a couple other Star Wars podcasts where, where dads were raving about them because they were able to watch them with their kids, both boys and girls like them, because it's, it's you know, like a four-year-old could watch it and enjoy it, whereas sitting through like The Force Awakens might be a little too much for a four-year-old. So... That four-minute episode, three-minute episode, that's just a nice little Star Wars fix that actually has a lesson of like, oh, that's what being brave looks like, is really fun. And it's also genius marketing, by the way, on Disney's part. It's like kind of like giving a little taste, right? Like we're going to get you hooked on Star Wars. We're just going to give you this little taste early on before you're old enough for even the, you know, half-hour shows. So very think- genius at Disney. I think Lucasfilm is trying to to lobby for some good Samaritan laws here. I don't I don't know if I appreciate the subliminal messaging. <laughs> <laughs> so we're supposed to help people. Hmm. <laughs> Not if I don't have a legal duty to do so. <laughs> How dare you? Well, <laughs> let's take a look at the first one, which was with Ray. And it was a nice way to kick it off. And it's basically like a deleted scene from The Force Awakens. And the first two were with her and BB-8. And it's literally right after uh, she rescues BB-8 from Tito. And we have the little periscope alien head that comes out of the sand that we saw in The Force Awakens that had the red eyes. Well, that turns out that's, that's like a periscope. The rest of it's underneath the sand and and she refers to it as a night watcher worm which immediately made me think of both tremors and dune and it is it's like awesome now quite terrifying yeah it's, i love any dune reference though it's it's that will always get me excited it's a, it's a touch tremors a touch jaws a touch uh, uh just Dune, you, you know, you throw in all those elements, and what do they? What do these worms feed on? Junk, of course. 
and so Only on Jakku. Yeah, it's so granted that means over what thirty-five years since that super star destroyer crashed on it that its natural habitat is just lucky enough to have junk parts. I, I have to believe this is an aside, just briefly. But you know, growing up as a, a night watcher worm, I don't know if these things exist elsewhere in the galaxy. It's probably a pretty crummy place up through the battle of Jakku to exist. You know, I don't know how much junk was lying around, but imagine like the Thanksgiving feast that rained down upon these things as the battle of Jakku happened, like the, the ravager that star super star destroyer crashes and they're just like, we're eating for weeks or years. And we don't know how, how many of these things there are swimming around in the sand. Thomas, what are your thoughts with, we have Ray and BB-8, and they're going back to, to raise Adat, and one of the worm surfaces, and Ray warns BB-8, don't move. And when she realizes he's going to turn into a Scooby snack, she goes out of her way to, to save the little guy. What are your thoughts on her duty at that point, since this was just immediately after saving BB-8 from Tito? And I don't mean Jackson. So I think... <laughs> The one thing that popped into my mind when I was watching this and thinking about it in terms of this issue is to some extent, you've got to consider BB-8. You've got to attribute some like personhood to him, right? Because if it's just a piece, if he's just like an inanimate thing, I don't know that she's going to have under any law, she's going to have any job to to rescue a piece of property that she's acquired. You know, if, if you, if you think about it like that, you know, she acquired this piece of property, it gets in trouble, like who cares if it gets trashed by this horrible, horrible, disgusting worm. Uh, but I think if you if you twist that a little bit and say, okay, like BB-8 has some personality, let's, let's kind of, you know, consider him a creature, if you will. I still don't know if she's got any, any duty to rescue him, even though she had just rescued him before. I don't, I don't know that that creates any kind of precedence or expectation legally that she would have to rescue him again every time he got into trouble i actually think it does because i think of bb8 like like benji and (laughs) and that you know dogs are are personal property or or a cat and bb8 is kind of in that category but just just mechanical and she had already saved him once and arguably bb8 was within her care at that point in time because he was going back to her place to be safe. And so she was taking BB-8 with her to the ADAT. So I think that actually creates that special relationship. Well, then that becomes more of an animal cruelty thing, right? Like that's if my little Rosie, my Houdini gets out and I'm trying to capture her and like, you know, she starts messing with a porcupine. Do I have an obligation? I'm like, you know, Rosie's a dumb dog who like is out here messing with a porcupine. Do I have an obligation to save her? You obviously with animals, you can't, you know, neglect them, prevent them from eating um, or, you know, use cruel um, methods with them. But I don't know if you have an obligation to save an animal from a harm you haven't created. Nobody puts BB-8 in a corner. <laughs> I, it's a fair question. I think she does because of the dominion that she's exercising over him at that point in time, just as you would a child. 
And just as you would have a duty to, you know, make sure your dog doesn't get into a dangerous situation, like leaving the dog in a hot car with the windows rolled up. And if BB-8 is rolling on the sand, and that's the sort of thing that attracts these night watcher worms, uh, I think the duty's there. It's not quite like a hot car, but it's hot sand, and he's... He's like a, you know, like a swimmer attracting a shark at that point in time. So, I, well, this also gets us into a question we'll probably have in the not too distant future. At what point is my smartphone going to be, you know, basically aware and sentient? And so, at what point can I not just let's say toss my, you know, smartphone out the car window in a fit of anger? At what point? Are these machines going to become so self-aware that we do have duties to preserve them, to keep them alive, you know, as opposed to saying, okay, this is last year's model. I'm going to toss it in the landfill. Be like your little Tamagotchi. You forget to feed it and you just leave it in the back of your mom's car. <laughs> yes. and you come back and it's just pooped everywhere and it's died. I had on my phone for a while and I forgot to feed them. <laughs> Thomas, do you need to talk about something? I was going to say BB-8 is now the Star Wars Tamagotchi, so you can you, you heard that here first. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably accurate. <laughs> so, I, well, I do, let's talk. Oh, go ahead, Josh. I do think that there was the duty, and and what she did was to protect them. But moreover, at the end, it's not like she kills the worm. She she they get to the safety of the at-at, and she throws the worm a snack, and. Sure. So the worm is is fed, and that's important for later. <laughs> so uh, I think it it worked well. Uh, the episode shows, uh, you know, the lead character being compassionate, uh, defending someone. If we're going to go with BB-8 as a someone, and not being cruel or unjust. Uh, in harming an animal that was just looking for food. One last question on this on this point. When now, obviously, the, the two episodes with Ray come before she finds out more details about BB-8. But does her duty shift at all once she finds out who BB-8 is, his importance in the galaxy? That's an interesting question. I did a blog post after uh, Force Awakens came out called BB-8 Come Home. And, and, you know, the motif was Benji and Lassie come home, you know, Benji the Hunted and Lassie come home and looked at some of the pet law out there that's developed when you have a lost dog. And some of that turns upon what the local city says. So if there's a local ordinance that gets into there's a lost dog you need to either report it to some cities it's the humane society some it's the sheriff's department some it's animal control like it varies across the country because it's it's a local issue and and then they take it from there and it could be something along those lines Uh, there were a bunch of cases after katrina with lost dogs and lost cats because it was a category five hurricane and you know People got separated from their pets. So, I mean, there, there are cases dealing with um, issues of conversion if somebody found a dog and then had it put down. And it's like they, they didn't have a right to do that. So just as Ray didn't uh, sell uh, BB-8 for food the next day, 
um, that would have been an, an act of conversion. So arguably she was protecting him uh, trying to find his master. But that also, Thomas also brings up kind of an interesting question about if we extend the like general duty to rescue from an individual basis, which is how it's always been looked at, to kind of a societal basis, right? Like if you have, forget if it's a living creature or just, you know, I don't know, a misplaced nuclear bomb or something. I mean, at what point do you have some obligation to do something because of the harm or the benefit it, you know, that object or entity, whatever, could have to society as a whole. I mean, I don't think our laws are there yet, but I have seen, like, uh, Asimov actually dealt with that in his laws of robotics. His laws of robotics all dealt with just, you know, robots not harming individuals until Giscard added a zeroth law of robotics, which was you could actually do harm to one person if it prevented harm to humankind. Good questions. And, you know, we don't have hue and cry laws in the United States. Now, you can't, you know, stop thief and everyone's then supposed to form a posse and go chase down somebody. Like, that's, that's not how our country works. Um, it's an interesting question of, you know, if somebody's been brutally mugged and assaulted and is crying for help in their apartment complex, uh, you know, to go, well, we're just going to leave them be and, you know, it's not my problem. Um, and like that's the current state of things in most states. I do think there's an obligation just as a decent human being if you hear somebody in agony to, to pick up the phone and at least make a call. I mean like that's that's what separates us from the animals. Uh, but like making... a... oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, go ahead. I said I, I'm willing to hazard a guess that whatever loose coalition of a government semblance of one that Jakku has not quite advanced to the point of uh, dealing with whether to enact any laws like this. So I, I, yeah, I, I think Jakku... Raise a trailblazer. Raise a trailblazer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think Jakku is more in line with Thunderdome than any civilized government. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is barter town. And, and that's why it's scary. Well, let's talk about Ahsoka and her duty, because that's kind of a different situation in Ahsoka, if I'm saying that right, is in a different role. So in the Padawan path, there's a mother and child who are in danger from a droid. Um, Thomas, did you, I can't remember if you saw this one, or Josh, was this you? Did you see this? Yeah, she, so it's on Coruscant. Uh, it starts out with Yoda and Anakin uh, kind of preparing for uh, like a small ceremony for Ahsoka. She's advancing on in her Padawan training, but she's running late. And so they're not sure, you know, where she is. Cut to Ahsoka. She's running across uh, the streets of Coruscant trying to get back to the temple. And lo and behold, she comes upon this crazy malfunctioning droid that's kind of attacking some local citizens. She has this moment and decides, kind of sees what's going on, sizes it up, and decides to step in and intervene. Ultimately gets the droid to short circuit and uh, makes it just a little bit late to her meeting with Yoda and Anakin. Um, I, the, the, I, we talk about uh, a very different type of person here because you've got a, you know, essentially a Jedi in training. So I does her status there, uh, you know, as a Jedi, as this protector, does that grant her this additional, does that grant her an obligation to step in and prevent this harm? I think it does because, you know, the episode references with her actually saying over the radio to Anakin, I'm just finishing up patrol. So she was working 
and she was on her way back, whether what, regardless of the fact that uh, patrol was just ending, she, she had been on the clock. So I do think she actually did have an affirmative duty and well, probably could make a colorful argument like, Oh, I was off duty. I still think with the Jedi code that she did the right thing per the code and probably a legal obligation that she might have had on Coruscant. Well, and Thomas, I was going to ask you, I mean, we were talking before about, you know, police officers and firefighters having a duty to rescue. Mm -hmm. What is it for uh, soldiers in the U.S.? I mean, both as as with regard to their um, comrades in arms and then also with regard to, I don't know, Obviously, a lot of times soldiers are in very dangerous situations like in Afghanistan or Iraq, so it's pretty tough to know what's going on. But are there kind of general duties? Surprisingly, there is under the UCMJ, there's no affirmative duty to, to rescue or defend somebody. Now, huh. I will. That includes I, fellow soldiers, or is that. That, in, that includes fellow soldiers. Now, what I will tell you is that, uh, so say you have a situation where there's, uh, you know, you've got wounded and. Uh, shots are being exchanged with the enemy. The first duty is to return fire and eliminate the threat because the idea is you, you know, you want to kill that threat, eliminate that threat so that uh, more damage isn't caused. And then you tend to the wounded. And then you can get into situations where uh, what if you've got uh, wounded, enemy wounded, you know, friendly wounded, uh, depending on how you triage that, you've got to treat the more seriously wounded first. And if that means treating an enemy soldier first. So I I think where you see it come into play is um, if you've got a situation where you could do something, I could see it as a possible dereliction of duty. So if you, you know, if you could have done something, there's no affirmative duty, but you could have been derelict in your duties um, and, and face some repercussions that way. And I I kind of see that uh, this, this kind of bleeds into this topic a little bit because you've got this kind of military aura around the Jedi order during the right. Clone Wars. And so you've got the Jedi code on one side, but you've also got their status. I mean, she's a general, you know, she's general Tano. Right. And so I think from both of those sides, you've got, uh, you know, some level of obligation for her to step in. Yeah, it'd be like a police officer at the end of watch going back to the police station and seeing an, a gunfight and going, I got to get off. Got to get home. Uh, you guys had just pulled him out five minutes <laughs> earlier. It's just, nope. <laughs> They're gonna, it's like, I'm getting home late. <laughs> like that, that's the way it's going to be. I got a job to do and I'm going to go help these people because that's why I'm here. That's why I have the badge. And with her, it's why she has the lightsaber. Yeah. But I, you, you talk about two of the core tenets of the, um, the Jedi code being peace and harmony, you know, she's standing there watching kind of chaos and, uh, you know, harm potentially be done. So I, you know, I think it's ingrained in her from her very first training to, to want to stop and put an end to that. All right. Well, that one seems a little bit more straightforward then. So let's turn to the last one um, and still my favorite character because I guess I grew up with her, but Leia. Uh, and Leia, and then of course, the my daughter's favorite character and one of my favorites, Chewbacca. So did Le- Leia have a duty to rescue Chewbacca, Josh, from the Wampa and Beast of Echo Bates? And tell us a little bit about that one. 
so it, it's on one level there's a haunting issue here because we have Leia um, cruising around with Echo Base and she's with R2 and like she was late he was out digging tunnels and they're like hey where's Chewbacca so she's out exploring trying to find Chewbacca because that's what Leia does somebody's lost we'll go get them because that's her thing and you you hear like the Wookiee roar and it's like oh that's not not a good thing and and when she finds Chewbacca a, a sleeping wampa has him and is holding him. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, Chewie was made a wampa bride. <laughs> we got issues with Wookiee trafficking. Like this is not okay on so many levels. And Chewbacca actually looks scared because the sleeping wampa's holding him like a teddy bear. And it's just, Aww. it's like, ooh, that's not good. I, I would be upset too. And, uh, you know, where, where the Wampa wanted to eat Luke, um, that Wampa wanted Chewie to be a teddy bear or, some, time. Yeah, or, or something worse. And so, like, watch that. I was like, oh, God, that's not okay. And Leia goes in and, and she saves the day. And with, you know, even getting into, you know, like, you know, telling the droid to close the door while, while she's, like, helping collapse you know the door frame and it's like okay so it's 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 typical leia saving the day because that's what leia does and of course again she's a general so we can go back to kind of some of these same arguments about a soldier's duty right like we were talking before with ahsoka um there'd be some similar comparisons there yeah, yeah this, I, go oh, ahead well it'd be time of empire so just princess would i don't think she had a general designation oh until Force Awakens, but I'm, she, they gave her military type command. Yeah. Um, even if she, she might've been acting as a general, even, even though her title definitely was, I think still princess. There, there's interestingly, there's a funny article by a, uh, a group called the angry staff officer today, which is like <laughs> military officers that, uh, that, you know, write about all manner of topics, but it broke down echo, you know, the, the, uh, war on Hoth and, and echo base and whatnot. And it, it compared her to what we would call an operations officer. So, you know, she might not, she's sort of de facto filling a military role there, maybe without a title. All right. And she's Royal. Do royalty have a duty? I think we should make, you know, princes are always riding off supposedly to rescue princesses. So maybe royalty, maybe there's some ancient Royal law that royalty have a duty to rescue. That'd be nice if they had that crack open the Alderaan code. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's just in her blood. I mean, look, look, look at her parentage. And it was like, no, they, they, they both went, saved the day. That's what mom and dad did. When and, dad wasn't getting angry and killing people. Yeah, you know, there's that entire genocide <laughs> thing and hate crimes. And we could talk about that for hours, but let's focus on Leia. <laughs> Interestingly, I, I think this ties into the, the point we were, we we're touching on with Ray um, at the beginning, Jessica, you brought up that point about, you know, the greater good, you know, what, what's the kind mm-hmm. of greater harm that could be done? Uh, could she have sealed poor Chewie off to be a cuddle toy with a wampa? Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> As an aside, I like the idea that Chewie is just out on his own, like, hand-digging these tunnels in Echo Base. <laughs> but... Because he's that awesome. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But, but to, to kind of carry this out, if, if that Wampa had come through that doorway back into the, the base, who knows what kind of damage he would have done. to? I mean, you've got Rebel High Commander, at least a chunk of it there, 
on Echo Base. So who knows what kind of damage he did. And I don't know if you guys remember, folks that have watched uh, deleted scenes from The Empire Strikes Back will remember this. But there's a deleted scene where there is uh, C-3PO's evacuating to the Millennium Falcon. There is a door with a... Uh, a yellow sign in Arabesh and it warns, don't go in there. There are wampas. He oh. rips the sign off on his way by, you know, past the door. <laughs> and then, you know, some uh, snow troopers come by and open the door and immediately get attacked. I was waiting at the end of this episode for Leia to, or somebody to slap that yellow sign up on that door, but they didn't, oh, they didn't yeah, link it. There, I re- I've seen a, a photo from one of the deleted scenes from empire that had the wampa attack. And yeah. it was rebel soldiers fighting Wampa. Uh, they, that would have been amazing. That would have, and again, there's there's a picture of it. So they filmed something, uh, but pacing worked out just perfectly in the film, and they didn't need to change anything in any edition later. But um, it's it's fun. Uh, I think they they picked this episode in a way that kind of honors what they touched on on Hoth and Empire. And we get to see Leia go out and save the day and be heroic. Well, speaking of Leia, of course, and being heroic, it's hard to talk about her still. It's a little bit sad, obviously, with Carrie Fisher passing away. Um, I had to look up, Josh, I said you didn't, you were mentioning the voice work before. It's Shelby Young, who's an actress who's, you know, kind of had bit parts in a lot of things. So how did she sound as Leia? Did it sound very different from Carrie Fisher? Did it sound right as Leia? I, I just watched the original three on the dv set i had from 2006 that had the original versions uh, for for prep for comic-con and i think it sounds accurate i think it sounds like the you know the young carrie fisher it worked for me all right well they did a good job with that then yeah and that has to be a tough gig to go, yes. so we want you to go be one of the most iconic characters in science fiction fantasy you cool yeah no pressure and and to be fair, she is the first one to to play that role since Carrie Fisher passed away. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that I I saw that get much traction, but that's pretty pretty big uh, boots to fill. That is, yeah, and with the, obviously a very devoted fan base who was uh, quick to be critical. So well, that and I, I th- still think we're in the time frame where everyone is still being very respectful, and and everyone still you know sad mm-hmm. um I, I do think we needed to get to being able to talk about the issues with addiction and being able to seek help for addiction and mental health so people know what to do if they're in a bad situation yes well and carrie fisher one of the great things about her was she was always very open about those are lifelong struggles no matter what that is a battle that you never stop fighting unfortunately so those, uh, those who are blessed not to have to deal with those sort of things, it is really just luck at the end of the day because those are awful, awful battles and they never stop. So it's kind of like the forces of evil. They just keep on coming and you have to keep on battling. But, um, but I'm glad that they are continuing to do Leia and that Shelby seems to be doing a good job with that. Now, Thomas, there, there have been like a three or four other episodes. Have you s- seen all of them? I've seen up through the, the Leia episodes, so I, I have to sacrifice one of my Star Wars fandom cards that I have not 
caught quite up yet. I've been buried in some motions work on a case. So. Oh, they, they think they're apparently coming out daily or every other day. So it's easy to, to fall behind. And, and it was actually judge Sharino who clued me into, Hey, have you seen this one? So yeah, uh, luckily the, they're so short. You can catch up in a, like in a matter of minutes, which is nice. The, you know, the second Leia one with Sabine, I really enjoyed. And uh, the one with Ahsoka and Padme, I think when we're talking about the duty to rescue, uh, I think that also ties to Ahsoka's duty as a Jedi. She was there. Um, and I, I do think those two would have had uh, a special relationship, either through prior course of conduct or perhaps even statutory on Coruscant with, with Jedi protecting elected officials. That it's, I, it's interesting, though. I, you know, you see it play out in different ways across the the different sort of mediums. I mean, um, talk about a greater good in, in Attack of the Clones when they're pursuing Dooku and Padme falls out of the shuttle, uh, the lat, if you will, um, you know, Obi-Wan prevents Anakin from going down. I mean, a lot of that had to do with, you know, attachments and this, this and that. But, uh, you know, Obi-Wan's words were like, the, the greater thing that we're pursuing is Dooku here. We can't let him escape. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of, like, how do you square that? I mean, they, they con if they're intervening in every single thing, if that duty is, is absolute, which I don't think it is, uh, you know, their activities are never ending. It's one thing to go, hey, that person got shot down or fell out of the aircraft or whatever. And while well, you can have the no, leave no man behind or leave no one behind philosophy that can't derail the mission. Because the, the objective is, of the mission is whether it's steal the Death Star plans or catch Count Dooku, it's like you got to see the mission thrill. And it's if we can go back later, we'll do it then. Or somebody following up from the rear, that, that'll be their job but we got to keep in pursuit of Dooku, which was, yeah. the, you know, the point of the mission. And, and Padme understood that. She had you know, a brand new clone with her. She's good. She, that, and, and it's amazing. She didn't have a concussion and uh, from falling out of an aircraft at high speed. But that's, that's, it, it, what you've heard of aggressive negotiations. That was aggressive tucking and rolling. <laughs> um, that's, that's part of the reason why I liked Force Awakens, that when Rey gets knocked against a tree, she's out for a little bit. Yep. <laughs> like she, she, she has to recover. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, there's a head injury. Well, one of the things that I find interesting, because I always like the inside Hollywood stuff too, is in looking at IMDb and the cast for the Force uh, Forces of Destiny. I mean, they have the new cast is represented there in full. Daisy Ridley is voicing Ray, yeah. um, Lupita Nyong'o, John Boyega, Anthony Daniels, Felicity Jones. They are all doing their voices. But then, what's funny? Obviously, you have to have Shelby for Princess Leia. But then, you know, the two other big movie names, Anakin and Padme, they do not have Hayden or um, Natalie Portman. Was it Matt Lanter and Catherine Tabor? Yeah, you're good. Because yeah, they the do Clone the voice work, it looks like, on a lot of other Star Wars things. Yeah, they were, the, they were the, they, they reprised their roles from the, the Clone Wars TV yeah. show. Yeah. So, which is interesting, but because um, obviously I'm sure Natalie Portman's like, no, I'm too busy. I've moved on to other stuff. I would assume Hayden Christensen would have been happy for the work, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, it is pretty impressive that they do have all the other names, though. This is clearly 
uh, a serious effort by um, Disney. They're not doing this, what, on the cheap. Yeah. And the animation reminds me, I, if any of you guys saw back in the mid-2000s, the Jendi Tart- Tartarovsky, if I'm saying his name right, it was a uh, multi-part Clone Wars series. It's not canon now, but it had... So he's the guy that did Dexter's Laboratory on Cartoon Network and several other shows. Very, very stylized, but they've kind of picked up that sort of look. And some people were kind of critical because they're used to the, like, stylized but realistic Clone Wars and Rebels stuff. But I like it. It's, uh, you know, it's something different. They're not afraid to turn the page and go a little, uh, you know, off the path. I think variety is fine. And different mediums and being able to explore different types of animation, different types of artwork, different types of storytelling works for me. Well, and turning to the bigger kind of gossip, too, I mean, Kathleen Kennedy, who's basically in charge of the Star Wars universe, keeps insisting that they want different artistic, you know, visions. That's why they hire some of these directors who are not your traditional Star Wars kind of directors. But then, as we obviously just saw with Han Solo, Lord and Miller were apparently a little bit too different for rumor has it for both Kathleen Kennedy and Kasdan, who... um, was kind of, I guess, de facto running the shop there. So, uh, so there is that kind of ongoing tension where, you know, maybe it's easier for them to be, take a few more artistic risks with these animated YouTube clips versus their, um, their big movies. Uh, I'm obviously very curious with all these rumblings to see what happens with Han Solo and especially with um, Ron Howard directing now. That will be interesting. Yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi will save the day. And, uh, I, I can't take credit for that. I, 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 look, I use the original Saturday Night Live uh, with Eddie Murphy with little Opie Cunningham. And, uh, but he's a great director. He, he loves the material. And the truth is frequently the first casualty when this sort of thing happens. And there are NDAs in place um, from what's been reported i think it's clear kathleen kennedy did the absolute right thing that the rumor mill stated that she tried working with them she tried meeting them halfway they didn't want to play ball and she gave them the axe which was the right call if saying okay we get your vision you're going too far we need to meet here and if their reaction was no she did the right thing no question about it and, and you know what, in, in, you know, a year and a half when that movie debuts, if it is, if it meets expectations and it, you know, Rogue One asks, it, uh, you know, excites fans and gets people buying tickets, none of this is going to be even a, a distant memory. It'll be off the radar. Totally. Everyone will get this, a that's kind of such a different one, um, you know, to try to go, I mean, I guess it's sort of like, uh. It is like Rogue One, but with taking such an iconic character, I mean, I think that's just such a challenge. I don't know how anyone can be better than Harrison Ford. And so taking such an iconic character who we actually saw as that young person and having somebody else do him, I think, I don't know. I thought this was a risky movie from the beginning. Donald Glover is the thing I'm most excited about in the whole movie, but um, it will be interesting to see what happens. And I do love Hollywood business gossip. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. But otherwise, um, I think I, you guys have convinced me I have now got to go binge all of the forces of destiny, which it sounds like I can do while I'm maybe getting ready for work tomorrow. Um, oh, Josh, do you want to say, some, say something about Han Solo? Yeah, because he is my spirit animal. <laughs> so I did a presentation uh, over a week ago at the Orange County Bar 
on uh, protecting fictional characters. And one of the cases I talked about was the um, case again from 20th Century Fox, you know, alleging Battlestar Galactica infringed upon Star Wars. And the district court judge who handled that case did some brilliant analysis of both, just dug in and could explain both in great detail. And, uh, and wow. seeing a federal district court judge do that is, is highly entertaining. Uh, but when it's in the analysis of talking about all the characters in Star Wars, he breaks each one down. And then he gets to Han Solo. The only character, in, and this is a quote from, from the opinion, the only character in Star Wars with human mundane traits and feelings is Han Solo, <laughs> who is less important and less central than the other four. Han Solo is merely a stereotypical sidekick. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. And, Whoa. and it's like, oh, you were wrong there. Everything else, it's like, I'll give the judge lots of credit on everything else and being able to break down the story elements and digging into what Battlestar Galactica represented. I mean, like, it's a brilliant opinion, but those two sentences it's like oh dude you don't understand the fan base who no who loves him yes uh, so and i just i just wanted to share that because we're gonna talk about Bond. <laughs> just just leave that there for everyone because again a lot of people in their 40s are still confused and, and hurt about what kylo did so. oh very <laughs> he just and- he just killed a sidekick don't worry <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no <laughs> so uh, uh, but with that, um, we, we can talk about this. We will be at Comic-Con. And oh, yeah. Thursday night uh, at 8 p.m., we have our Luke Cage mock hearing to prove Luke's actual innocence based upon the ending from the first season of Luke Cage. And Friday, July 21st, at 3 p.m., we have Judges on Star Wars. And I can safely say this is the most high-profile uh, panel that I've ever co-moderated. The planning's been fun. The panelists include California Supreme Court Justice Mariano Florentino Cuellar, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal Circuit Judge John B. Owens, whose geek cred is awesome, Uh, (laughs) uh, Magistrate Judge Stacey Beckerman from Oregon, Magistrate Judge Mitch Debin from San Diego, California State Court Judge Carol Najera, from Compton, California, and former magistrate judge, now Deputy General Counsel Litigation at Facebook, Paul Graywall. Who's and been with us for three years in a row. He is our, uh, he has been with us since our first time at Comic-Con. He's such a great man. I just, uh, I can't say enough, enough nice things about him. He's, he's brilliant. He loves the source material. Um, I, I reached out to him like when we were planning uh, the last mock trial we did for Comic Fest, and he covered the airfare from one of the law students to go. Wow. Because he believes in this stuff, and he likes seeing people have the opportunity. Um, he, he said that there, a bunch of judges had reached out to him over, over from the last few months and expressing interest, and... Um, I, I was concerned we didn't have enough um, female representation because we had we have Judge Najera on the panel, but I wanted to be sure that we had a female federal judge because young women in the audience should be able to look up and go, I could be like her. 
so uh, I asked Paul for for help, and I said, like, did did any of these judges did they happen to be women who like Star Wars? <laughs> Which is a real specific ask. He was like, oh yeah. I said, could could you ask someone if they could join us? And that's Judge Beckerman, uh, and her notes about the topics she has uh, are super fun. And uh, one of hers is defending Finn for desertion. And she, and she, she wants to do it like a closing argument. I was like, yes, your honor, go for it. (laughs) So uh, it's going to be fun. Going to be fun. So if you're in San Diego, if you're going to Comic-Con, join us. And um, Thursday night is in uh, room 23 ABC and Friday we're in seven AB which all day is all the Star Wars panels. So wow. I just, when I realized that, I was like, this is so cool. We're with, like, there's somebody from Lucasfilm after us. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my God. <laughs> We're at the big kids table. So it's, it's a fun feeling. All right. Well, this is very exciting. All credit goes to you, Josh. You have been a wizard in pulling all these things together. And so I am looking forward very much to getting to go back to Comic-Con again this year. A Jedi seeks not these things, but we do seek your help with the ABA Journal uh, Web 100. So if you enjoy us both on the blog and the podcast, check out the uh, nomination form. We have it posted on our blog, and those are due by the end of July. And if you like our podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. And we, we would love to hear from folks, hear what they enjoy, hear any suggestions for topics or ways to uh, improve the experience. And Tweet out at us. I love t- tweets. Tweet. That, we like to actually engage with people. So we, we actually <laughs> do try. Yeah. <laughs> we do try on our Facebook fan page and we do try on, on Twitter. So, yes, say hi. And um, so with that. Thomas, thank you so much for for joining us tonight. Thanks, Look, Thomas. BB-8 as a Tamagotchi of Star Wars deserves five stars on iTunes. If anything. <laughs> <laughs> thank, and its own hashtag. Guys. That's right. If you give, that's like the most massive hashtag ever. But thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Dude, rock on, rock on, my friend. So with that, America, stay geeky, stay geeky, America. <laughs> <laughs>